Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Happy Thursday to you. Thursday. Hey, I, there's a good chance that if you live in the city of Nashville, you showed up on the Titans injury report yesterday. Were you on there, Hitman? I think Lucas was on there with the quad. They would have released uh, me because I would have been on there even before they released it. Abduct as long as for eternity you were listed on there for that. This- hey, man. I- <laughs> hey, man. I- injury report. Steph's like, well, out of the 21, how many of those guys do you believe will actually, you know, not play? Because I-, I think a lot of those guys are going to play. And listen we'll to play. the number, though. That you just casually were, right? said, 21. There were yeah. twenty. Do you ever remember an injury report ever with 21 people on it? Mm. And you you might have been on some. Or obviously, sure you were on a bunch also... of teams where these were released every year. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't ever recall 21, but I wasn't looking besides just making sure my name wasn't on there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and then when I was knew I was on there, then I just didn't look. Right. <laughs> I don't need to see it in writing. I'm living it. I can well, you know, it. It, and then it's different era, too. Now everything's posted on social media. Sure. So it would have been a little bit easier if I was playing today. I don't recall 21 ever. It's been some tough times, at least, you know, maybe 15 max yeah. at some point in time. But usually that's towards, you know, the last quarter of the season. Right. You start seeing stuff like that. Not this early. So that's a little alarming. At, at what point is pretty much everybody has something? At what point during the season <laughs> could you look at everybody and go, okay, this guy's got something, this guy's thumb's dislocated, this guy's. As soon, All the time, forever, as soon as you report for practice, basically? No. As soon as the first kickoff goes in the first game. Okay. Everybody's injured. Okay. Yeah, everybody. The, you know, the desperation that you're playing with, that every play is the last play in the world, uh, everybody's beat up after the first game. So it starts there, and it's how you manage through it, help your re- body recover faster, all those things. Get back out there. Now, some injuries you just can't overcome, you know, where you ACL, sprained right. ankle. I mean, certain things, high ankle sprain. You know, some guys uh, like me, I play with, you know, broken form, broken thumb, you know, pins in them and everything else. So, like, as long as I could run, I felt like I could contribute. You know, then it's hard to say, you know, how much uh, you really helping or hurting the team if you can't run to the to the max. So, you got to be able to run at least 85 90%. So, yeah, you, you're, everybody's banged up pretty much as soon as he starts. So, yeah, that's how it works. And as you get older, it takes longer to recover. And that's what happens, and that's yeah. what's going on maybe with the offensive line because a lot of guys keep going down and they just, you know, keep banging. They keep coming back, but it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Now, this is kind of continuous, you know, early in the season. So that that's uh, problematic, uh, especially with a team that depends on their offensive line and running the football, and pass protection. This this came up, I don't know, it's Thursday, Monday, or or actually somebody mentioned it on the post-game show on Sunday night, a possibility of, you know, just cut Lawan, just trade him. And we were like, well, it's, 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 no, it's, not, it's that. not that simple. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. So, so then the discussion kind of went on, and it carried on into Monday on, on radio about the thought of him not possibly being here next year. And I – you know, he doesn't have much of a cap hit if they cut him after a certain point in the offseason. I think right, it's, one seven. it's like $1.7 mm-hmm. His dead cap would be all it was, and it would save you, was it like $9 million or something if he's not here? It was a lot of money. And, and there were there's kind of a contingency of people who were like, they would never cut Lawan. That would never happen. I don't, we're I talking don't, about in the offseason? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it could happen. See, here's what happens is what goes up must come down, and I'm talking about a salary. And then availability is actually contributing to 
how much you say do we want to invest in him. So that's how you can look at this season and say, well, this is three years in a row. He's kind of impacted the team, and they actually depend on him yeah. to do one-on-one pass protection against these elite guys because uh, he's a phenomenal athlete. Now he's recovering. He could They could cut him, and then all of a sudden he recovers fully the next year and does great after that. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably going to happen, regardless of how well he plays the rest of the season. Uh, you know, or they could move him to the front side tackle, make him take a pay cut. Because he's making astronomical, <laughs> you know, amount of money, man. So that that's going to lead them to say, okay, enough's enough. What do you want to do here? And they don't really have those kind of conversations like, what do you want to do here? But what are we going to do here? Uh, and then they move on. So, yeah. Then they'll draft a, another tackle in the first round. <laughs> I'm not going to say that I'm going to throw a brick at my TV this year like I did. And I barely, I barely, barely saved my it. TV because yeah, yeah, yeah. they went to the second round and they took ratings. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, uh, the starting line will be a drafted left tackle. <laughs> uh, Dylan Raiders at left guard. Southfold will be gone too. Uh, Aaron Brewer will be the center. Nate Davis will be the guard. And then some, you know, solid player at tackle. Sam Rilo or Quest and Yeah, Yeah, All of a sudden, you got it fixed. And <laughs> one year, there you go. The one is still under contract for two more years. Um, after twenty twenty one, this year he's uh, cap hits of fourteen six next year and fourteen eight the following year. And as many have said, a dead cap of uh, you know, like one point seven is the number that is yeah. So there you go. And he's actually, you know, he's playing, he's fighting through his injury. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, always tough. I'm sure he thought he would be ready just like Bud Dupree. But when you have an ACL, people don't understand the rigors of what you're putting your body through until you actually go through it with an injury like that. As I mentioned, Kevin Carter had the same injury, somewhat similar ACL, and he was five years later still icing it after every game, seriously, and then icing and doing rehab throughout his career. Because wow. it would swell up. Uh, this is, you know, it didn't impact it how he played, but we're talking about five years later. It's still going to swell up. It's never going to go away. It's, it's a whole, you got to go through a whole new plan of, of approach of how you're going to take care of this knee compared to everything else. Let's, uh, Randall is checking in from his car, Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. He wants to talk about the Titans injuries. Hey, Randall, appreciate you jumping in this uh, beautiful Thursday afternoon. Hey, guys, how are you? The sun's coming out. It's a good day. Yes, it is. You know, I'm not even going to get into the terrible draft classes and (laughs) the way we tend to sign and draft injured people. But don't you think, and Blaine, this is more directed towards you, don't you think there's a direct correlation between injuries, especially hamstrings, and the lack of the so-called stars not playing, not practicing, not really doing much of anything? Don't you think there's a direct correlation to that? And it's hard for me to say. I, I want to really say yes, but, you know, we've seen other teams not do anything, and then their players don't have any issues. And then, you know, our team and other teams, you know, the Titans do have issues. So I'd I love to see the research done by the NFL to see uh, what, you know, what the numbers really say. Um, so, and then the guys couldn't, couldn't play uh, anyway in preseason. They were injured. But other things, and then you come back and you're pressing and pushing. You know, <laughs> it, it was always interesting. We never had a lot of strained muscles 
during my time. There's always maybe one guy, but not a, a, a you know a player that was a starter all the time that we really had to have. Right. I just don't. I don't recall that. Only guy I can remember is Yancey, and he was like that as soon as he got here. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I can't re- like where it was an issue all the time. And then you know Yancey was only here a couple years. Uh, for that reason, it's about availability. Yeah, and I'm hearing a lot of people, you know, talk about, you know, you're protecting the players. Uh, Vrabel's protecting the players. I, I, w- I would beg to differ. I think Vrabel's protecting the game plan and who's playing and who's not for the opponent. I don't really think he's protecting the player. We're not in college. He doesn't want to divulge that information because mm-hmm. he doesn't have to, but that's not to protect the players. Uh, the, prote- the players are going to play if they think they can or not. The pressure's there. You cannot relieve the pressure. Yeah. The pressure is when they sign on the dotted line for their contract. And guess what? I got, I got my starting job through an injury, a player in front of me. And guess what? The next guy will too. So how many opportunities are you going to give that guy behind you? Yeah. yeah. Well, if not, they're going to say, well, even if he's not quite as good, his pay is way less. Maybe he'll get better the more he plays. And we'll go the second option next year. So that's how it works. That's where the pressure is. And then your pressure is from your own teammates, not from anything the media says or any of that. The guys focus on, I have to be available so I can continue to collect these checks because nothing's guaranteed in the NFL except until you make the roster at the beginning of the year and your full contract is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The next year come, I don't care if you signed a $20 billion contract. If you get cut, pay stops that day. You'd get no more. Yeah, This is not the NBA, the NHL, and it's not the, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, NBA, would I say NBA? Yeah. yeah. Baseball, Major League Baseball. This yeah, all, is not that. All the rest guaranteed the, contracts. Yeah, it's no. not that. Yeah. So there's the pressure. So I don't I don't know where this perception of that Vrabel is protecting the players. Uh, that doesn't exist. As we just saw, Lawan played because he thought he was ready. The trainers can only do so much. Ah, I'm ready. Bud Dupree just admitted today that he came back too soon. Right, because he thought he was ready. His competitive spirit, signing a big contract, put the onus on him to say, you know what, I feel like I'm ready. And he he really believed it. Yeah. And you go out there and your knee goes, uh-uh, nah, not, not the day after. It goes, no can do. Mm-hmm. So there's the pressure. Uh, it's undue pressure built in in the National Football League, and they'll never be able to get rid of it. Because every game is so precious in a win to make sure you get a win. We were having a discussion about Ryan Suckup, and I'm like, man, if they could have just waited two more weeks right. or so. That's exactly it right there. And you laughed. You're like, they don't wait. They don't they wait. Don't, there's no wait. Yes, they can't no wait way. on him. Nah. So We got to win now. Got to win today. You're yeah. not available. Guess what, then? You're no use to us. Yeah. You know, you're like, you know, <laughs> like dead meat, man. <laughs> Bye. We got to let you go. Got to cut you loose. <laughs> this meat's no good anymore. <sighs> <laughs> That's hey man, it, it's a cutthroat business. And yeah. until you understand that as an athlete, then you're not gonna be around for long. Seriously. So you better do everything you can to stay available. And if you can't, and then it's an injury you can't play, oh, you, there's nothing you can do. It, hey, hands are tied. You're sitting in the training room, which most guys don't want to be sitting in there. Yeah, they, they do not want to be in there. Mm-mm. It's just misery. Like you feel you feel tiny as an ant. Feel like I, I'm not here, you know, helping the team. I'm not contributing. I'm useless, man. Will I when I come back? Will I be the same? You're trying to build up your confidence. I mean, there's a whole lot of layers of mental 
toughness that you have to go through coming from an injury, a major injury. It's it's really tough. And then as soon as you get out there, you're getting critiqued, and you're like, eh, you know, look the same, and you got to have patience. Luckily mm-hmm. for some of these guys, at least Bud Dupree, he just signed, so patience is built in. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they, we, got, we got a little bit of time. That's why I thought it was interesting that he was out there. Because I said I would not play him. I was counting on like four to six weeks. Yeah. Fourth game, sixth game. Then he was out there going full go. I might have played him part-time because he was so eager to get out there. Right. And he looked really good. Sure did. Uh, but we all know his <laughs> stuff. Even Lawan has to say he thought, remember, he wanted to be out there even practicing sooner than he wanted to. So you have to, you can't blame it on the training staff. They were trying to hold him back, hold him back, hold him back. Because they know. Yeah. Well, the Titans got 21 people on the injury list. Uh, they probably will not update that before our show is over, but we will know who practiced and who didn't. That information should be out around the second hour of the show. But let's do this. We owe you a break. We'll get Ben Portnoy on the other side. He covers uh, South Carolina. And Alec in Nashville, if you hold, we will get you first. He wants to talk a little bit more about this Titan stuff. We'll get Alec's call. Then we'll go straight to Ben after that. It's Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone, Thursday afternoon, cruising towards another just awesome football weekend. October football is here. The Gamecocks are coming to town to face the balls in these black uniforms that some of y'all are really, really mad about, and some of you love them. It's just the way that stuff goes. So why don't we get a uh, perspective from the other side of the line. Ben Portnoy joins us now, beat writer for the state newspaper Covering the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, ben, do you like black uniforms? Uh, or are you the type of guy who just gets mad when things change? I, I got to say, I actually am here for the different uniforms, change up a little bit of a traditional look. But these black uniforms just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me, but they didn't quite do it for me. I don't know about you all, but uh, the, these weren't quite there for me. Well, one guy called in yesterday and we thought, oh, Ben will get a kick out of this. The guy was mad because he said, black is one of South Carolina's colors. That's not our color. That's South Carolina's color. So uh, one guy didn't like it just because, you know, cocky's coming to town and, uh, you know, didn't want to confuse anybody, I guess. Yeah, I think with the orange, no one should get too confused. But, I mean, you know, I covered Mississippi State for a couple of years, and folks at Mississippi State would get annoyed when Mississippi State would wear black because it wasn't one of the uh, true colors of the school in maroon and white. So I guess everyone's kind of got an opinion on it one way or the other, right? That's very true. Uh, you wrote an article, so it, this is kind of an interesting thing. It's it's a homecoming of sorts for Shane Beamer. Probably some Tennessee fans knew this because they're a sharp fan base and they follow everything. But uh, Shane Beamer, once upon a time, on the Vol staff and uh, coming, in quotes, back home again. Yeah, definitely. No, this was a really fun story uh, to, to put together and, you know, for those who haven't read it, you know, Shane Beamer and, and South Carolina's offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield were both on uh, on Phil Fulmer's staff in the early 2000s. Uh, Shane was on the staff from 01 to 03, and Marcus was on the staff from 2003 to two, or 2002 and 2003. So, uh, you know, both those guys spent a lot of time in Knoxville. I uh, got to talk to them and a bunch of guys who were on that staff. I talked to Kurt Fulmer, talked to, you know, Woody McCorvey, uh, Randy Sanders, uh, some other folks as well. Brad Pendergrass, who was at, uh, at Tennessee for a long time as well. So, uh, you know, it was interesting catching up with those guys, hearing some of their, uh, I guess, war stories, for lack of a better term, uh, and kind of what they all, uh, you know, entailed being a GA in those days, how it kind of changed, and um, just kind of the fun fun pieces of that. And, 
you know, Shane Beamer spent a good chunk of time yesterday actually talking about it. He's, he's, got, he's got a master's degree from Tennessee, and, and the, I think it's the sport management program. So he was talking about that yesterday or, uh, on Tuesday at his press conference. So, uh, no, it's definitely a little bit of a homecoming and, and kind of a, you know, it was a fun angle on this whole thing. Joined now by uh, Ben Portnoy, state newspaper covers the University of South Carolina. He's on Twitter at Ben Portnoy fifteen. He's on Blaine and Mickey right now. <laughs> well, Ben, let's stay with uh, Coach Beamer. Uh, how's he doing so far in this? Uh, let's just say first quarter of the season as uh, as a head coach there at South Carolina. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that you know the thing that Shane has talked about all year is that. Yeah, the honeymoon phase was going to end at some point, right? I mean, South Carolina was going to have to play football games eventually. And uh, I mean, I think things have largely gone to script. You know, South Carolina's beaten the teams they should have in, in East Carolina, Eastern Illinois, and, uh, and Troy. And, you know, lost a tight one to Kentucky that, you know, probably looking back, frankly, South Carolina had just about every opportunity to win that game and, and just couldn't cash in. And uh, you tie that in. And then, you know, a game against Georgia, and you know, Georgia's pretty much throttling everyone out there. So, you know, that is what it is. But I think the South Carolina has largely looked what we've, like we expected. You know, it's a team that, you know, in the last two years has only won six games. It's coming off a two-win season last year. And I know that's just against SEC competition. But still, you know, this is a program that's rebuilding. And, and I think that, you know, South Carolina is still trying to win, obviously, every week they play. But I think that, you know, those in the building and Shane Beamer, not, you know, notwithstanding, I think all feel that, you know, this is a program that, it's going to take a little bit of time. You got to rebuild. You got to bring in your guys, and you know it just takes a little bit of time. And I think that you've seen some, you know, growing pains maybe with the offense and, and a few other pieces. But but you know the defense has been way ahead of schedule. I mean this defense has been really really good. Uh, you know they're tied for first in the SEC and in, in you know turnover margin. If I'm not mistaken, they, they're first nationally in interceptions this year. So um, it's a really disruptive group. But but the offense just hasn't quite been there so far, and that's been probably you know the biggest takeaway. Uh, at least through the first month plus of the season. What's the fan base's expectation when they play, you know, let's just say a middle-of-the-road Tennessee team? Do they expect that they should be able to compete and win the game? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a game that if you're South Carolina, you circled it on the schedule and said, you know, you feel pretty good about your chances about beating this Tennessee team. Um, You know, it's a first-year head coach. Tennessee's obviously been a little bit down on it the last year. Um, And, you know, all the other things off the field notwithstanding, you combine that with, you know, what, close to 30 guys that transferred out of the program. I mean, you know, on paper, you feel like this is a pretty, at least even matchup. If not, I mean, South Carolina may even feel like they had the edge coming into it. But, you know, the way Tennessee's scoring points right now, you know, I don't think it's it's quite that. Um, but I think that, you know, if you're South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, Vanderbilt, you know, I think those are the teams that you feel like, you know, you want to be at the top of that heap. And, you know, certainly you'd like to be Florida and Georgia, but I think, you know, history tells us otherwise. And, you know, South Carolina is a program that's, you know, barely above 500 historically and, and uh, you know, hasn't has had little peaks and valleys and that's great. But, you know, it's still a program that generally has been sort of middle of the road. So, um, you know, I think that this is a game that, you know, coaches circle on the calendar and think, hey, we, we got a shot here. And, you know, you pick as, as sort of a roadmap to six wins and get into the postseason. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, I still think Tennessee has the edge this weekend. Not to jump ahead too far. Yeah, right. Well, Ben Portnoy, uh, South Carolina, the – State newspaper as well. I, I remember earlier in the season, maybe it was the beginning of the season in the first game that you had some quarterback issues. It's kind of stable now, I, I, I would assume, correct? Yeah, it's been pretty stable. Uh, you know, Luke Doty was dealing with a foot injury that kept him out for about a month, give or take. Uh, missed the first two games. Uh, came back in the Georgia game. I mean, the expectation was to play Zeb Noland. 
who, you know, started as a graduate assistant earlier this year and uh, transitioned to being on the roster. Uh, and Zeb had, you know, previously played at, at North Dakota State and Iowa State, backed up Trey Lance, backed up Brock Purdy. So had been around some really, really good quarterbacks, but um, was, not was not really expected to play this year. But, you know, he handled things the first two games, won a couple of games, and uh, got hurt on, if I'm not mistaken, like the second drive against Georgia. Uh, and Luke Doty was sort of thrust into it. But, you know, Luke's looked really good the last few weeks. Um, you know, the numbers don't necessarily jump off the page, but kind of the way he's commanded the offense, the way he's moved around the pocket and made some throws, you know, hung in there and stepped into some throws. I mean, it's been pretty impressive. And, you know, for a guy that had, I guess this would be his fourth, maybe fifth career start, uh, you know, he's looked really, really good and, and pretty polished for a kid who, for all intents and purposes, really is still a freshman. Well, one more, and that is the special teams. I think they've had like uh, three special teams. Uh, was it punt blocks or four? No, yep, four, four, right. four. And I know the coach Pete Limbo. He was the head coach of my university. I went to uh, Ball State uh, there, and then he, I know he came from Memphis, right? Uh, even before he came to you guys. But man, is he designing up these plays, or the play? You know, the players just making some great plays. <laughs> I think it's a mix of both. I mean, we came out in the first, uh, you know, the first game of the season, South Carolina blocked two punts in the opener against Eastern Illinois. And I mean, look, take it with a grain of salt, it's Eastern Illinois, but still. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, we were talking to, to uh, Jamar Brown, who, who had a punt block against, uh, against Troy last weekend, where he literally just bullied a guy, pushed a blocker into the punter, and the punter just punted it into the guy's back. Uh, <laughs> and block the kick so and we asked him about it after the game kind of how or excuse me a couple of days later about you know how that came to be and he said you know pete lembo basically walked into the locker room and drew it up in the dirt and said here's what we're going to do and then the next thing you know they blocked the punt so um you know you combine what pete's done and you know he's a guy that's really really well respected in, in special team circles and just in college football circles as a whole uh and combine that with you know shane's that shane beamer's background as, as a special team guy you know I mentioned in the story today about, you know, when Shane was at Tennessee as a GA, you know, Phil Fulmer trusted him to work with the kickers just about every day. Uh, and he, you know, almost functioned as a special teams coach, even though he was still just a GA. Uh, so, you know, given the backgrounds of those guys, I mean, South Carolina's been pretty good on special teams and, and getting after kicks. And, you know, I mean, the kicker, Parker White's, you know, been as good as any player in the country. He's, you know, not to jinx it, I guess, knock on wood, is nine for nine this year. And, uh, you know, hasn't missed a kick, hit a 54-yarder uh, at the end of the Kentucky game to make it a one-score game, and, you know, is closing in on the all-time points record at South Carolina. So this is a group that, that you know, special teams-wise has been really, really good um, and definitely can create some problems there. Well, with uh, Ben Portnoy of, of South Carolina, the state newspaper. It's interesting, Ben. We were talking about this matchup just a little bit on Monday, and, and I just kind of made an offhanded comment, like, you don't score much on South Carolina, but they don't score much on offense. And a guy tweeted me or maybe he sent me a message uh, and, and said, dude, they hung 13 on Georgia. I mean, you can't mess with that. And, <laughs> and I looked and that's, that's the most anybody scored on Georgia. They hung 13 on Georgia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're the only, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's still held up, right? That South Carolina is the only team to score an offensive touchdown against Georgia this year through five weeks. Uh, it's pretty crazy. I mean, look, Georgia's really good, but no, I mean, look, South Carolina's only scored, I think, you know, they haven't scored more than 13 points in an SEC game. They've only played two, you know, Kentucky and, and Georgia, but, you know, they scored 10 against Kentucky and 13 against Georgia and, you know, had some chances in that Kentucky game where they settled for field goal, settled for a field goal and 
just the rhythm wasn't quite there. And you can say the same thing about the Georgia game. I mean, they were twice inside the, I think there was twice inside the red zone where they had to settle for field goals. Uh, and, and frankly, probably could have put some more pressure on that game and made it a little more interesting. You know, they weren't going to, I don't, I think we can all agree that they probably weren't going to win that game, but um, you know, had chances to at least make it interesting early uh, and didn't quite get there. But you know, South Carolina's offense has been a little bit hit or miss. I mean, they've hit some big plays. Uh, Josh Van, who's a kid out of Georgia, he was a four-star recruit, but had largely underwhelmed through, you know, three-plus years at South Carolina. But, you know, he's been really, really good through the first few weeks um, and, and looks the part of a number one receiver. You know, they've got some other pieces of a uh, receiver. You know, EJ Jenkins is a guy who's an FCS transfer, but, you know, 6'7", 250 pounds, and can play out of the slot, can play tight end. I mean, he's, you know, a matchup nightmare and looked really, really, you know, had his first real, you know, interesting game or big game whatever you want to call it uh this past week against against troy had a t- had the touchdown uh south carolina's only touchdown catch so I, I mean they've got some pieces offensively that that are interesting you know you throw kevin harris in that equation uh you know freshman running back juju mcdowell's been a big piece of the running game as well but you know that's been the biggest problem is that south carolina just hasn't been able to run the football you know as you know literally just right before we hopped on that i think south carolina's ranked 11th right now in the sec in rushing yards and that includes a, an offensive line where you brought back, you know, over a hundred appearances and Kevin Harris, who ran for over 1100 yards last year yeah. in just 10 games against a full SEC slate. I mean, you know, South Carolina's got pieces, but they just haven't been able to put together, uh, put it together offensively in the run game. And, you know, it's created some problems and it's been a reason why they, they fall behind on third down. It's been why they haven't been able to put up more points. It's why they haven't been able to string together drives. And, you know, I, I think that that's the thing for me in this game is that, you know, if, if Tennessee is going to go and score 35 points, like I'm not sure South Carolina can score 20 points, let alone 35. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, if South Carolina is going to win this game, they're going to have to find a way to run the football and, and control the pace at least as best they can. I was I was looking at the Athlon uh, book before the interview today, just kind of putting some things in. I, re- I saw they had this great story in there, kind of a blurb about a guy named Ortray Smith, and I thought, I remember that guy. Then I thought, what happened to that guy? And apparently there was some breaking news this week. Uh, that guy is uh, – he's an interesting story, and he's leaving the program, it looks like, in a nutshell, if people don't remember this guy. Yeah, Ortray uh, has had, you know, a lot of injuries. He's a four-star guy, was really, really good uh, high school prospect, and was a guy that, that showed out a little bit as a freshman, but has just battled injuries his whole career. It just, it, it's, you know, I don't want to say the kid's body's falling apart. That's probably not fair, but, you know, just hasn't quite been there and, and just, you know, decided that, you know, it, it was time to move on. And, you know, we heard from Shane Beamer the other day, had a really, you know, a lot of really positive things to say. He said, you know, look, you know, if, if there's any coaches or any, any programs out there that, are, you know, want to ask questions about Ortray, I will pick up the phone and call them in a second because I have nothing but good things to say. And, um, you know, I think that speaks volumes, one, of, of Ortray Smith, but two, you know, Shane Beamer and just kind of the guy he is. And, you know, that's kind of something that I think fans have rallied around a lot is just sort of the, the sincerity of, of him and, and, you know, in a business that, you know, can lack it a little bit, especially, in, as we all know, in college football. Ben Portnoy, our guest, covers uh, South Carolina for the state newspaper. Yeah, Ben, uh, well, speaking of uh, someone uh, leaving basically because they were injured a lot, what's the health of the team as far as, you know, uh, major contributors? Yeah, South Carolina's in a pretty good spot injury-wise. I mean, Luke Doty's still kind of getting back to full go. We haven't seen him use his legs as much as we, you know, we probably expected to see. Um, you know, some of that comes with, you know, you have a foot injury and, and a, you know, I don't want to call it a really severe one, but a severe enough injury where you force you to miss almost a month. Like, that takes time to get back to and get that comfort back in your foot and running around and racing around. Uh, Kevin Harris has said that he's fully healthy. 
Um, you know, he had off-season back surgery, missed the season opener, uh, you know, wasn't quite, you know, and just hasn't looked quite himself. Uh, you know, Shane Beamer said, too, that he was dealing with uh, an undisclosed illness for, I think, two weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, how healthy is he actually? I don't know. I mean, he said that he's 100%, but, you know, you can see that he was maybe a little bit labored uh, in the game against Troy, but I think that's just a matter of getting back into football shape and that kind of thing, but um, you know, I think that other than that, I mean, uh, Rick Sandage is a guy that they expected to play a big piece at defensive tackle, but Rick's been hurt since before the season and hasn't played this year. And, you know, it's kind of unclear when he, whether he might be able to play or when he might be able to come back. But other than that, Seth has looked pretty good. Rashawn Lee is going to start on the offensive line. Uh, Ja'Kai Moore is dealing with a, a little bit of an ankle sprain or injury, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, but Rashawn Lee was really, really good replacing him um, um, on the offensive line last week. So, you know, there's a few pieces, but nothing, nothing too major. In Shane Beamer's uh, first year, I guess, how has he decided to use the the transfer portal, as we call it, the TP, to help uh, build out uh, his program in his first year? Yeah, that's a good question, and and frankly, it's something that I think Shane Beamer and the staff did a really good job of. Uh, you know, you look at it. I think Seth Carolina brought in nine transfers. Uh, I'm not mistaken, six of them were on the defense. Uh, the defensive side of the ball and, and have played really big roles. And, and you know, this, I think coming into the season, we kind of thought this defense might be one that was, you know, pieced together more by duct tape than iron or anything. And, uh, you know, I, I think that this is a group that has overperformed. And, you know, you've seen guys like, a, you know, Tyrese Ross has played a lot at safety. Uh, you know, there's been a couple other guys. Jordan Strom's a guy who led the FBS in sacks last year at Georgia State. He's been a nice complimentary piece on the defensive line. Um, you know, some guys like that, you know, and like I mentioned before, EJ Jenkins at tight end or wide receiver. I think we asked him what he's technically, his technical position is the other day. And he was like, you know, both. So I keep waiting for South Carolina to try out a depth chart where it says he's like an offensive weapon or something like that. But, um, but no, I think that, you know, Shane Beamer, I think the biggest thing is that South Carolina had a lot of holes to plug, especially on the defensive side. Uh, a couple on the offensive side as well, but especially on the defensive side. And, and for the most part, they went out and addressed it. And I think it's it's really helped this team. You know, it's given them s- some veteran guys. It, it's pulled things together a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, it's obviously a tool that, you know, you can't totally replace high school players and developing guys. I mean, you know, you look at what Kansas, the situation they're in with scholarships and how that all went down, with, you know, how Charlie Weiss recruited a ton of JUCO guys. And then all of a sudden you don't have any underclassmen, but, um you know, this is a South Carolina team that I think, and, and Shane Beamer and his staff have done a really good job of, of piecing things together with the transfer portal and bringing in guys that can make an impact quickly. Going with Ben Portnoy of South Carolina, cover South Carolina, of course, for the state newspaper. All right, Ben, we got about a minute left. Uh, how do you think things will go on Saturday? You've kind of talked a little bit and given some keys to the game, but uh, a huge showing for Tennessee last week. Do you see that offense continuing to pour things on against a tough South Carolina defense this week, or how does it go? Yeah, it's kind of strength on strength, right? Uh, You know, for me, I kind of see that Tennessee offense. And, I mean, it's easy to overreact. You know, they scored 62 points, ran for 450 yards, right? But, uh, you know, that's kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, for me, I think that the Tennessee offense is in a spot where it's starting to click. Hendon Hookers looks pretty good, and it seems like it's got a little bit more consistency on paper. Um, You know, South Carolina hasn't seen a team that runs this kind of tempo yet. Uh, and given the way that they've defended against the run, they haven't been great. So I, I kind of like Tennessee's chances to be able to run the football pretty effectively. Uh, you might see an interception or two or maybe even three, but uh, I, I like Tennessee's chances. I mean, I'm probably thinking, you know, somewhere in the 34-17 range. I, I just don't think South Carolina can score enough points to keep up. 
Ben, thanks, man. It was good talking to you, and uh, we'll keep following you, and uh, we'll have you on again next year. Good to know that we got a, a connection over in that part of the world. Add Ben Portnoy, 15, the state newspaper covering South Carolina. Thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Definitely. Appreciate you guys, guys. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks again. Yes, sir. Ben Portnoy. Um, I got into this big stat dive for the Titans last night, and there were some stats that kind of concerned me. Now, some were good and concerned me. Others were bad. I- I'll share those with the hitman. Titan stats next. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Blue Jumbo. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Concerning stats. This should be a segment every week. Concerning stats. I will say this. I put my glasses on for that. Oh, he does have his glasses on. <laughs> It's getting Although, sunny outside, man. You got chest blind. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think those are helping you see very well, though. Uh, yeah, it is. So, let me see you. I'm not going to say any more like this team never sacks quarterback. This team only does this. This Because none of that seems to matter. Because the Jets, <laughs> they had like 21 pressures in the whole season. They had 21 pressures last week. And then, you know, the quarterback had been sacked, what, 15 times, which is the most in the NFL. Uh, and then they sacked him what one time, and he kept breaking contain and just freaking waving people down the. F- so I no more, no more of well, this team doesn't do this because every time it seems like I read one of those stats, they do that really well the next week. So I'm not doing that, but I do have other stats. Okay, Derrick Henry stats. Yeah, you finally start listening to me. Okay. Yes, <laughs> but I just think like it's a trend, right? Mm-hmm. This is the way they're trending. Trends don't seem to matter when you play the Titans. You just trend a new way. Well, you know, what's always interesting when you look at those stats, sometimes it's about matchups and how teams match up. Yep. And somehow that's how the trends change for whatever reason. You never know how it's stacked up. You could be like, oh, okay. It's no different than if you say, oh, man, okay, you play an offensive tackle. Oh, man, going against uh, this bow-legged guy, man, he'll be able, you know, make he'll be able to dominate that guy as a pass rusher. Then all of a sudden this guy shows up and he gets two sacks and he has pressure all game. You go, well, dang, that guy wasn't – wasn't anywhere as good as the the other guy. Yeah. But for whatever reason, you know, certain matchups you just don't do well against. Some guys just give you issues, and that's kind of what happens when you play teams. Um, Derrick Henry stats. Now, these stats are always true. You can pretty much say, well, Derrick Henry's done this, and then he's going to – then he'll just do more. These are his stats of the first two weeks. Jim Wyatt put this out. 2020 versus 2021. He has 12 more carries than this time last year. Okay. His yardage, he had 376 this time last year. He has 510 yards already. And only 12 more carries? On on 12 more carries, 113 versus 101, he went up from 376 to 510. He's got a four-and-a-half-yard average compared to 3.7. He scored four touchdowns uh, rushing. He has 14 catches for another 125 yards. So he's like the alligator. There's a picture of an alligator climbing a fence that's on the internet. So it's like, okay, the fence will keep out alligators. Alligators are like, no, we'll just adapt. We'll learn how to climb the fence. Derrick Henry is the alligator now learning how to climb the fence. Okay, I'll just catch the ball too. So I'm going to hit you more. I'm, I'm just going to keep stat padding on you. I'm just going to keep. How many touchdowns did he have rushing? He has four rushing touchdowns no. at the same time last year. So they're Four tied. and four. Tied. I okay, got you. But he only had six catches for 32 yards this time last year. So he has 20 more touches through four games, uh, and he has a, just a ton more yards. So I looked at – I thought, well, the Derrick Henry stats always stand out. So then I started looking some more. So Ryan Tannehill has been sacked 17 times already. He only got sacked 24 times the whole season last year. This is four games. 
There's 13 more games. Yeah, you can't have that stat. That, that's, that's, that trend that's needs common, to stop. You know, well, it's a combination of quarterback, line, and, and receivers. Got to say all of them involve some more than the others are attributed <laughs> to those sacks. We won't go down the road of which one is more at fault. But I could say Tannehill is definitely at the bottom of the list. 17 sacks, so he's getting beat up. And he's not some 25-year-old guy. It's a 30-something-year-old guy getting hit like that again and again and again. Well, I think he's actually pretty durable yeah. uh, compared yeah. to, let's say, the previous quarterback. I think he's pretty durable. So if you looked at this Titans team at the at the beginning of the season and you'd said, okay, four weeks, we're going to tell you who's the leader in receptions on the team. Now, you may have seen this. The leader in receptions on the team. Don't tell me. But before the season, you would have thought, okay, it's either going to be A.J. or Julio. Just, well, I would have said A.J. Yeah, before the season. Yeah. So who do you think it is now since we haven't seen much of A.J. or Julio? Uh, not the tight end. So is, you're talking about just on reception. Just catches, not yardage, nothing else. Just mm. just catches. Uh, Henry. He's second. He's got 14. Oh, crap. Who's got 16? You would have never won money in Vegas on this one. Josh Riddles. No. Jeremy McNichols. Oh, he has 15 catches. He leads the team. Oh, wow. Yeah, he caught a screen ball. Dustin just guessing on well, TV chat Chester. When you, when you're, yeah, Chester Rogers. I, that would have been my second guess, Chester Rogers. That would have been. I would have guessed Chester Rogers. It I, is. I didn't think you – I didn't feel like that's who you were talking about, though, because I could tell. It, it is. It wasn't somebody I would have expected. I knew it was somebody. Oh, man. Yeah, Jeremy McNichols. Your running backs. You know, he's, I've two. always been a fan of his, and every time he always gets cut or put on a practice squad, and I'm just like, man, they must see something that I don't see. This year, he's gotten a chance. This is the third year he's gotten to really showcase some things and what he can can do and how he can contribute to, in this offense. So, yeah. All right, a couple of sack stats, and Lucas is going to be hollering at us that we got to go. Ola Adani and Harold Landry lead the team with two and a half sacks each. So if you had Ola Adani leading the sacks a quarter Definitely of the way through the that. season, would not have seen that coming. Uh, Big Jeff and Autry each have one and a half, so two defensive linemen. That's the only four people who have a quarterback sack any number on the team. Ola, uh, Big Jeff, Landry. Autry, and Harold Landry. That's the four people who have sacked That's the quarterback it. in any way. That's right. it, huh? No, no DBs, no linebackers? no. no. Nope, no other outside linebackers. I don't know if they changed the scheme a little bit because they were doing a lot of just four-man front because they felt like they can get pressure with their four-man. So it makes a little sense. I, I would blitz the slot corner or linebacker or something <laughs> at time in there. At least well, that was the, the Dean Pease thing. You just didn't know who was coming. You know, like uh, uh, Logan Ryan would have four sacks and Jayon Brown would have four sacks and Kevin Byard would have three sacks. By the end of the year, everybody had some Nobody of that because the way he sent guys. All right. This one was, was fairly disturbing from the scoring department. Derrick Henry has scored four touchdowns. He's the only Titan that has more than one touchdown through four games. 83 people in the NFL have scored two or more touchdowns. Only one of them on the Titans is Derrick Henry. Nobody else has more than one touchdown. That was hard for me to believe. Tannehill's thrown well, some, but right. as far as rushing or receiving. Right. Well, you know, your big playmakers aren't out there, so that, that – That'll change, I think, as time goes on. But, man, you think if Josh Reynolds catches, it's a crazy throw. It's a hard one to catch. If he catches that, maybe it helps that become a different it's not game. It's a crazy throw. It was a great throw. It was just, oh, I, yeah, a crazy, crazy good, catch. I meant. Yes, it would have been a crazy catch. Yeah, so that 
That was tough. That's why I said I wonder if he could have come down with that, and as well as the one down the deep ball that when he got up when his knee was he grabbed his yes. Knee. And those those hit they, they hit his hands, man. They did. And, if and it that's why I wonder hands. how do you grade that? I love someone to tell me uh, is that a considered a drop? I'd have to ask one of our PFF guys. Right. There we go. All right, well, we'll do that. But we don't have a PFF guy coming up in an hour or two. We got Doug Matthews. Get the latest on Tennessee and South Carolina from Doug. Uh, headlines next, including just a big old bunch of injuries uh, practice-wise for the Titans. It's Blaine and Mickey.